Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. There are some disciplines in the world so nebulous, so hard to quantify, that they take on an aura of mystery. You know, there's clearly people who are good at the discipline, so it's possible, but the path to get good, if you're not already good, It's fucking confusing. It's littered with monsters and snakes, rabbit trails and sirens who, while being really hot, take you far away from fucking grandmother's house. Teachers in those hard-to-explain fields end up resorting to almost Buddhist-like cones. You know, when both hands are clapped, a sound is produced. Listen to the sound of one hand clapping. And you're like... What the fuck sound is that? There's no sound. So listen to the sound of nothing? Or should I strengthen my clapping muscles? Why, God, why? And sometimes those disciplines just stay like that. Murky, gray, shapeless. But other times, a teacher comes along who breaks through the noise and hammers some goddamn organization into our domes. Martial arts actually used to be taught in that karate kid style, but nowadays the best schools have systems, curriculum that build on itself and maximize efficient teaching and learning. And what was once thought to be inborn personality traits gets democratized to the common man. And of all the fields out there, the one that is still murky The one that comes to mind the most for me is sales, persuasion. You know, we see some sales reps who honestly, truly are good. You know, it can't be luck if they sell multiple millions of dollars of stuff every year and have been making 500 grand a year for 10 years. But it's not obvious what the fuck is going on. So we resort to explanations like, well, you know, It's all about the relationship for me. Or, you can't get lucky if you don't try. Or, you just just fake it until you make it. But a new person interested in becoming that beast who's making 500k a year is in a tough position. You know, like, what the fuck are they supposed to do to learn sales? Even the most gung-ho person won't be successful if they don't know where to look. And so for those folks who commit, who say, I will do whatever it takes, I want to be that beast who's successful, there's really two paths. One, years of pain, on-the-job training, you know, mimicking the most successful sales reps like a dog, and then after like seven to ten years, you start to kind of figure it out, though if you've only been in one industry or one job, your experience is super narrow. It's like, you know, thinking that trench warfare is the only kind of warfare. The second option, the second thing that sometimes happens is they say, fuck it, I'm going to buy every single sales book there is, 
and I'm going to teach myself sales. They get in sales training. They read books. They cry out to the ether. They take classes, steal bits and pieces from everyone, and cobble together their own sales process. They have success, maybe even massive success. But that specific knowledge, as Naval said, when they move on to other jobs or they retire, that knowledge is lost. And now there's always going to be some learning through hard knocks. I mean, you can't learn all the best knife fighting techniques in a laboratory because maybe it turns out, bitch, you can't even hold the knife if it's covered in blood. None of those techniques matter. Squeeze as hard as you can. Stab with your blinky. I don't know. But occasionally, once in a great while, like Bruce Wayne learning from Ra's al Ghul and then applying his methods to save Gotham, a practitioner comes along who has been successful in the trenches, but humbly takes the time to map out their philosophy. The Sandler method, let's get real or not play, a couple other sales books, but it's rare. At best, most sales books are usually that trench warfare analogy, you know, and they confidently put forth tactics of like, so this is what war is like, get ready, storm the trench which is actually goddamn unhelpful if you find yourself in the jungle hunting for long pig. But today, my priest, I'm excited to say we have the honor, nay, again, the responsibility of covering one of the OG of OG sales books, the Hicks and Gracie to Mahan's John Donaher, the book that started it all. If there's one thing I've learned from these arcane fucking sales books is that they don't give a shit about how cool their title sounds. Effective selling through psychology. That's the title of the book we're about to read. Our three authors, Bob Lefton, Vic Buzota, and Manuel Sherberg, have built us a system that even the deity known as Dave Sandler probably would give the head nod of respect. There's three authors, but the brains and founder of this whole thing was Bob Lefton. Bob was married to his wife for 63 years. He got a bunch of degrees. He built a giant sales training company, was good at sales himself, and pioneered some of the most groundbreaking work that sales and selling has ever seen. And shout out to my boy, David Brinson, the inspiration for me to accept my lot in life and become an adult. And also, he recommended this book. And so, again. For possibly the last time, we find ourselves in the elephant graveyard desperate for meat. The year is winding down. I've been having massive sales success at my job. I don't know the future of this podcast even. You know, I'm feeling the itch, the itch to pivot, to shut the podcast down. I mean, you know, the opportunity cost of how goddamn much time this shit takes me is ever increasing. Because at work, I find myself still in the critical point, a rare Goldilocks zone of 25 sales calls per week, massive practice, the hyperbolic time chamber. And part of me wants to lean into that so goddamn hard to get obsessed with sales training like no human has ever become or been before and become the best ever. I haven't fully decided. When you listen to this, I might be dead. But if you can join me, maybe for the last time, we're going to ride the night, cover ourselves in blood, and examine how to harness the inner workings of the human soul to become rich, jacked, 
and gods among men effective selling through psychology into the book this book has been written for both salespeople and sales managers the reason for this is both salespeople and sales managers are charged with the same fundamental task to get better results from their work with other people to accomplish this task they must be able to interact effectively with others in fact instead of saying selling we may be more accurate to say interactional skills the skills themselves can and should be used in any situation where two people are supposed to work together effectively so you're not in a sales job you're about to turn this shit off but you know you do have a job and so you know, these skills they can make you more effective anytime you're interacting with anyone okay okay i'm down sir lefton selling is another word for, for persuading it's something all of us do some people of course are paid to concern themselves with selling Salespeople are obvious examples, but just about anyone who works for a living must sell, must persuade. We can go even further. Nearly every day, all of us do some selling off the job. We try to persuade our family, friends, neighbors to accept an idea, attitude, or proposal. And while this book is mainly directed to people who sell for a living, it should be useful for anyone who wants to become more persuasive. So you're building your video game attributes. You want to get your sneak up. Awesome. You want to get your strength up. You're doing your fives. But why wouldn't you also want to get your persuasion up? <laughs> I don't have an answer. I think the answer is you would. And that's why we're here. This book explains how salespeople can use people skills to improve sales results. People skills is an umbrella term. It covers four sets of skills which are indispensable for maximizing sales results. Sizing up skills, strategy planning skills, communication skills, and motivation skills. And so this book is like the most complete and well-organized end-to-end sales philosophy and process book I've ever like even come across basically. No offense, Mahan. Don't kill me. And so it's pretty fucking complicated. And like just in general too... Sales is learned just through bits and pieces here. So like, listen to this, not as a college class, but more as like, huh, that's fucking crazy. Maybe I should buy that book and I should, you know, dive deeper and really try to learn this shit. But so what he's going to do is he builds his whole sales process, which like, if you think about that, let's get real or not playbook, that was almost the whole focus. Here, he builds the sales process but most of the focus and most of the benefit is on skills to be more effective at the process. So like Mahan had his really specific, like this is the opportunity step. What's the pain? Let's quantify, you know, the um, move off the solution, get out all the issues, evidence, impact, cons context, constraints. Here, uh, it's a little more shallow on the sales process, but the skills section, this, which is like a fucking huge part of this book, dude, I was raising my hands above my head and I was just chanting as I was reading this. And so he's saying that he's going to lay out a bunch of different skills and he's going to talk about a bunch of different shit and we're going to go into it. It'll be crazy, but don't worry. We got this, but the overlay on top of this whole thing is that people skills, AKA how to be more effective at persuading and interacting with people is four types of skills. 
sizing up, so like thin slicing, like quickly profiling uh, the situation and people, strategy planning, communication, and motivation. So let's just do a quick preview. Sales aren't just made, they're made to somebody in particular. When you call on a customer, you always call on somebody unique. Sales are always made to special people with special characteristics, which means that on any sales call, we want to keep some key questions in mind. What's this person, the one I'm facing right now, like? What special characteristics must I deal with? What traits should I pay particular attention to? And so on. Sizing up skills help answer these questions. Okay, so he's actually going to lay out like a totally mindfuck um, mental model for how to quickly size up people's behavior and what it means in the sales process. And like, dog, it's good. And so what he's saying though is that like sales aren't just made in a vacuum. Sales are made to specific people. And those specific people all have specific things that they care about, they don't care about. So like for me, if you know, if you come up to me and you're like, oh, hey, you know, whatever the fucking Colts quarterback's name is is having a tough season isn't he and i'm like yep and then it's like oh did you catch the oscars nope like oh man i i uh i just joined a country club and i love golf i'm like bro i fucking hate you like i don't know anything about you except for that like kind of hate you and so sizing up skills you know if you're if you're selling to me you got to be able to kind of like read that like hmm this fellow might not be socialized enough to know about the Oscars. So that's the first skill, strategy planning. Once you've figured out the other person, the question becomes, what is the best way to deal with him or her? How can I overcome obstacles they're likely to place in my path? How can I persuade them without wasting time or energy? To answer these questions, you need strategy planning skills. The difference between sizing up and strategy planning is sizing up diagnoses, but strategy planning prescribes. Both of these help you deal flexibly with people. You know, your strategy for customer J will differ maybe a little, maybe a lot from your strategy with customer K. Strategy and planning skills help you personalize your dealings with people. They make persuasion a great deal easier. Okay, so those are the two skills kind of meta overlaying this whole thing. The third thing is communication skills. Once you've planned out the best strategy, worked on how to deal with customer X, now you actually have to get through to them. And so a huge portion of this book is on those communication skills. And finally, motivational. And so this is like, great. How do you actually though, get people to do stuff? And so, I mean, this could be a sales example, but it also could be a, you know, you're, running a board you're on a nonprofit. you're in a fraternity you know you're you have kids and you're like hey um you haven't brushed your teeth in six days like let me walk you through some of the consequences of this little buddy but we're calling all of those all four of those buckets people skills and so i love books written by salespeople because they just like call out the obvious objections first and so he's he goes in, he's, he lays all that awesome stuff out. But he's like, but if you're not convinced, why read this book? And then I think I did this, but in all caps. Basically, the answer is just like, you'll get more money. 
uh, okay, I'm in. Let's fucking roll. And as he ends this first chapter, just kind of introducing, we're going to talk about selling. We're talking about people skills, which are those four buckets. He says, hey, bitch, one thing that's crucial here and that's implied in everything that we've said or will say is that people skills can be learned. They are not innate or inherited. They're acquired by men and women willing to expend the necessary time and energy. You can't say, I just don't have what it takes. I'm just not cut out for this. Because what it takes is not a special sort of person. What it takes is learning the necessary skills, practicing them, getting feedback, then using the skills until they become second nature. This book zeroes in on what those skills are. The practice and use are up to you. Fuck. Let's fucking go. Think about the ROI on this $16 book. If I make one more sale from this, it has like a thousand time return. In reality, I'll probably make like 50 more sales in my life from just this book. That's like a, it's like a million percent return. Where else could you find that? I think we need to take some fucking shots. Okay. We're not going to take shots. It is 928 in the morning. But I'll leave it up to the imagination what this sound is. And so, because this book is like really designed to be the just fucking Boy Scout handbook of how to get good at sales, the next chapter is a like a questionnaire. And so, what he's starting to lay out, and you know, he's going, he's got these people skills, but he's going to go into the sizing up skills first. Okay. And so, the general premise of this is that there's four quadrants. There's four patterns of behavior. And obviously it's gray. Obviously it's nuanced. This is kind of similar to the disc profile if you think about that. But this is more focused on behavior. And so he's going to go through Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And those are all quadrants. And so they categorize the behavior that people are exhibiting. Because people are super complex. We can't like really make sweeping generalizations about people. You know, that's where my critique of the Myers-Briggs personality profile is. It's like, there's freaking 16 types. So like, am I supposed to have a, an ability to, you know, like really, really know every single one of those types and then be able to draw sweeping con- like conclusions about people? It, it's, you're not really. And so what this is, is, this is more practical. You know, this is almost like the Marine Corps Hunter program. It's like, all we can do is look at what is being exhibited, what behavior is being exhibited. So I'm going to try to do a word picture for you folks. Okay, so imagine a cross. Okay, and that's that's now there's four quadrants. On the north, and I'm not the best at navigating, but I think I can do this, and that, that means you can as well. North is the trait dominance. South, so at the bottom, is the trait submission. If we go east, that's warmth. So on the right end of the cross, you know, right end of the fucking four quadrants is warmth and on the left end the west you have hostility okay and so now draw a circle around that cross now you've got four different quadrants that are a combination of those traits so let's go slow we'll think about it so the top left quadrant is dominant and hostile (laughs) great the top right quadrant is dominant and warm The bottom left quadrant is hostile and submissive. The bottom right quadrant 
is submissive and warm. So we'll talk way more about it. Try to use your freaking tiny little brain, but you know, if you can't, just kind of like roll your eyes in the back of your head and just chant and, and then it'll come to you. Don't worry. But let's explain these a little bit more because this is like pretty critical actually for um, thin slicing behavior and materially changing how you interact with people. Like it actually, if you, if you can understand this, it's, I mean, I've actually, since I've read this book, I've been on a shitload of sales calls and like I'm interacting with people differently and it is better uh, f- legit from this idea. Okay, so North is dominant. Uh, dominance and that's control or influence it's asserting yourself it's putting yourself or your ideas forwards it's trying to affect other people's thinking or behavior it's taking charge it's guiding and leading it's convincing others okay so we're north now we go south let's explain submission i mean we all know english but let's just listen up submission is going along with others without first asserting your own ideas it's compliance Uh, one way to distinguish is that dominant behavior tends to make things happen and submission behavior tends to let things happen to them. Okay, now we're going west, left. Uh, Hostility is self-centeredness or lack of regard for others. So hostile behavior is insensitive and unresponsive to people's needs, feelings, ideas. You know, this is the like, man, It's a dog-eat-dog world out there, bro. I've just got to take care of my fucking self. Like, that's the idea. Now, if we're going east, right, uh, on the quadrant, warmth is regard for others, coupled with trust, or at least, like, somewhat open-minded. A good way to distinguish between hostility and warmth is that hostile behavior is based on a negative or pessimistic view. And so just like, you know, deep self-reflective lessons as I'm reading this shit, but like how I interview people, I'm nice, I'm professional, but my attitude to them is like, bro, you probably fucking suck, okay? Like so many people suck out there, you're probably one of them. Now, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, convince me, it's fine, you know, I'm gonna be fair to you, and if you're good, I will wholeheartedly support you, but you probably suck. That would be a hostile outlook based on this definition. Hostile behavior considers most people undependable at best, threatening or hurtful at worst. But again, and we've kind of like talked about this to visualize this, but none of the behaviors show up alone. They all combine. So you're going to have a, in the first quadrant, upper left, you're going to have dominant hostile. Okay. And he's calling that Q1. Now, if we're going down, uh, the two is submissive hostile. That's Q2. If we're going around now to the right, submissive and warm is Q3. And then the fourth quadrant, the upper right, is dominant warm. Each pattern has countless variables. The rest of this chapter describes the four basic patterns of sales behavior, of customer as well as sales rep. And he just like acknowledges that this is a caricature, okay? Like reality is true. Shit gets insane. But like these principles, these themes, they do exist out there. So we're gonna gonna think about customers and we're gonna think about sales reps. Okay, so Q1, so this is dominant hostile customer behavior. Customer takes an oppositional stance. 
you're dealing with a Q1 when they brag a lot, tries to impress you, monopolizes the discussion, interrupts, is impatient, is like super stubborn and argumentative, um, offers dogmatic, I know better than you opinions, sarcastic, wants to win arguments. Like we can all picture that customer behavior. You know, maybe we've been at the Radio Shack, rest in peace, and there's somebody yelling at the guy saying like, oh, my fucking rabbit ears, they're picking up porn. I want to watch fucking football. And the little neckbeard guy couldn't understand why anybody would want to watch football over porn. I, I'm not I'm not giving this opinion. I'm just saying maybe what I saw. And that customer's getting more and more aggressive and angry. So that would be dominant hostile. That would be Q1 behavior, okay? Q2 behavior. So that's submissive and hostile. That's protective. So the customer's taking like a defensive stance. You're dealing with a Q2 when the customer shrinks back. They say little. They pick their words very carefully. They're reluctant to take even calculated risks. They seem tense, ill at ease, back away from new ideas, uh, you know, procrastinates, pessimistic suggestions, won't deviate from routine. So like there's not really a value judgment attached to this either. You know, like I've seen my mom buy a car. My mom's a super nice lady, but like she is uh, very risk averse and, and submissive. And so she goes and buys a car and you know, she's probably dealing with a Q1 dominant hostile sales rep and she just shuts down. She like won't make eye contact. She gets so uncomfortable. Whereas for me, I'm like, oh yeah. And I'm just sharpening my ax because it's about to be wartime and it's super fun for me. Okay, so just quick uh, example, Q3. Okay, so we're, we're remembering that Q3 is warm and submissive. Okay, they're acceptance seeking. They want to be liked. Uh, you know, they're like, I don't like cold calculating business relationships. I want to get along with people. You're dealing with a Q3 when they're mainly intent on being pleasant. They, they quickly agree, even if they haven't heard the whole story, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. That sounds really good. Um, they're a lot more talkative than the situation calls for. They have a good word for nearly everybody and they're easily swayed. Dude, I'm dealing with a prospect right now where I was like, so, you know, tell me why you want a dashboard. 35 minutes later, I learned that she just is like so passionate about the mission of her organization and fucking a million other facts. And we still didn't really like answer the first question. That's Q3 behavior. And so Q4, and spoiler alert if you didn't figure it out, Q4 is the goal. Q4 is where we want to be. So that's dominant but warm. It's pragmatic behavior. So this type of a customer is like business-like, candid, confident, but not cocky, defends their own ideas, but listens to yours. They're decisive after hearing evidence, but they refuse to be overwhelmed by experts. They want to consider the facts. You know, they're tough, uh, but they're fair. Okay. So that's the customer side. Now, you can probably imagine what it would be like on the salesperson side, but we'll just, just quickly go through that. So, you know, you're dealing with a Q1 salesperson when they're just too aggressive. And so I, uh, a couple of years ago, bought a, got a new roof and the, the roofing sales rep guy was, you know, on the disc profile, high D on this, he was Q1. So just like 
pushy, aggressive, like, okay, so next step here is we got to pick out your colors. And it's like, bitch, we didn't even commit to anything, fella. Okay. So like, hold on a second. And I actually had to take him aside and explain to him the fucking disc profile and that my wife is an S on the disc profile. And when he pushes, what it's doing is it's making her a Q2. It make, it, it's making her shut down. So she's not going to say her questions. She's not going to do any of the shit that you need her to do to fucking buy this. And also, bro, in my mind, I don't even give a fuck about my roof. It's a total commodity and I will go to somebody else. But this is your sale to lose. So how about you don't act like that? But that guy, you know, he would just be like, yeah, this is, this is the fucking major leagues. And it's like, what are you talking about? A Q2 sales rep, they have like a fatalistic approach to selling. They actually don't even believe in the powers of persuasion. Meaning that they're just like, you know, I'm going to present the facts. And then like, it's up to him or her if, uh, you know, if, if they want to buy or not. You know, they're, they're not really um, convincing and not in like a pushy sort of Q1 way, but in like, you know, like Steve Jobs had one of the fixable kinds of pancreatic cancer. He tried to cure it with a juice fast. Nine months later, he's like, fuck, that isn't working. He went and tried to cure it with chemo. Too late. Rest in peace. All the respect in the world to Steve Jobs. However, his doctor probably was just like a Q2, like got overwhelmed by fucking Q1 Steve Jobs and then was like, well, you know, like I wouldn't recommend it, but but if that guy had been better at sales, Steve Jobs would still be alive. There's definitely orange juice, don't worry. Uh, Q3, so a Q3 sales rep. So this is the, the gregarious, the talkative, like the Q3 buyers, the lady who talked for 35 fucking minutes to my one question. Uh, but a, a Q3 sales rep they think that the way to make sales is just like being friends with them you know you're seeing a q3 salesperson when they meander from subject to subject they don't really care about the details they only see the bright side they you know inject a lot of phrases like that's terrific i love this the thing i love the most about this system is and obviously he's trying to point us to being q4s but i but i will say like all of these have dimensions and, you know, like pros and cons also where one of my good buddies, you know, I would say he he has taken Q3 selling to its logical conclusion and on the fact that he's just like a fucking incredibly likable dude, he's making $37,320.33 per month. So it can be done, but I think on average and almost from like a game theory perspective, the optimal strategy is the Q4 sales rep. They're results oriented. How do I know what will make the customer better off? I actually don't unless I dig for information. So what that's saying is like Q1s are like, yeah, of course you need this roof. This roof's the best. But like a Q4, it's like, well, until I actually figure out what they're trying to do, like, I don't know. Are they going to sell this place in one month or are they going to live here for 50 years? I mean, like it depends probably. You see a Q4 at work when they get the customer seriously involved in the presentation. They listen carefully and show that they're trying to understand. They ask plenty of pertinent questions. They try to uncover real needs instead of imposing their ideas. They explain how buying the product will help satisfy those needs. 
They come across like a problem solver, not a pitch man. They roll with the punches by quickly adapting to customer behavior. So a Q4 trying to sell Steve Jobs is like, hey, Steve, if you were going to launch a new iPod, because back in the day, maybe iPhone, we'll say iPhone. If you were going to launch a new iPhone, but you, as the expert on the iPhone, knew that one of the things inside the iPhone was a fatal flaw and launching it would just be dooming it to fail, what would you do? It's like, well, I would, I would go yell at that person and make sure that, that they got that fatal flaw out there. You're like, well, why? I'm like, well, if, if there's that fatal flaw in there, there it's, it's going to fail. The, the plan is not going to work. And you're like, interesting. Yes, I agree. If I can share in the analogy, the fatal flaw in your plan is that a juice fast won't cure cancer, goddammit. So what I would recommend in the same way that you would passionately advocate if you knew that this is gonna have a bad result, is dude, please, just do fucking chemo. And I'm hammering this example because like, that's the type of situation that happens in selling a lot. Like, you know, you have a client that needs a giant data warehouse. There is somebody right now that is spending 50 hours a week manually typing data into an accounting system. Think of that person's life. Not cool. And so a Q4 is able to not get emotionally involved, but able to paint that picture of like, you see Susie in accounting? You see how she doesn't even have fingers anymore? Like, come on, don't you love Susie? So let's dive a bit deeper. And so this is really interesting, but he says, there's, there's variations in this, obviously. You know, it's not like I am a Q1. It is that I am exhibiting Q1 behavior. Obviously, nobody behaves the same way all the time. For one thing, many people behave differently in different roles. Somebody who is a mostly Q1 customer may be mostly Q3 as a subordinate. And so, dude, this was actually so eye-opening for me because when I sell, when I'm you know doing these, and like sell is even a weird situation. It's like when I'm in a doctor type situation uh, with a prospect and I'm figuring out what they need, I am always in Q4. Maybe not always, but like seriously 94% of the time. But as I was reading this, I had just had an encounter with a potential sales training uh, trainer. And it was like super weird. And like I was being so aggressive. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, Hmm, I didn't go great. Like, luckily I'm buying this, but like, you know, I was just super defensive and she was like, well, what are your biggest issues with sales? I'm like, well, basically nothing. I just want to become the best ever. And she was like, so you don't have any limiting beliefs? I'm like, no. And I do actually kind of believe that, but that made me realize that actually I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, how did I learn to buy stuff? Well, I grew up in Korea and I learned market negotiation where what you do is you're in a market and you see it, you make eye contact with the the shopkeeper. It's on. They run up to you. They say, pretty boy, pretty boy, you want jeans. And you, if you walk away, they'll leave you alone. But if you give them even a tiny bit of interest, the game is fucking on. So you say, how much? They say 500. And you say, oh, you just walk away. You don't even like, don't even 
give them the time of day. They will grab you. They will chase you down. They're like, no, 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 no. Let's talk. Let's talk. How much? You're like, 20. <laughs> Which again is like, you know, absurd. Uh, and they're like, they pretend to be so fucking offended. Maybe they actually are. Uh, I did one time lose a friendship because I negotiated too hard. Uh, whatever. That's a sad story. And then, you know, you come back, you're like 50. They come back, they're like 200. You come back, you're like 75. They're like 150. And you end up, you get it at like 90. And, you know, everybody high fives at the end because that's the game. But I realized like as I buy stuff, I just drop into that, which actually is not super helpful. And so like I, I started to do that after reading this book because we were talking about like salary negotiation at work and I was like starting to fucking go like, pretty boy, you want some jeans? No, I'll fucking quit this job. Then I'm like, wait a second. I am being a Q1 buyer, huh? And then I resolved to be more self-actualized. And you know, though I will say like sometimes, dude, you got to fucking negotiate, but you don't have to start like that. But all of that to say that in different situations, you might exhibit different types of behavior. And so if we're comfortable, we're going to be exhibiting like our standard type behavior. But if things don't go well or we're frustrated or we're stressed, we'll revert to unplanned behavior. So think of the nice guy who's always super nice. They're under a lot of stress and they just blow up and start shouting. You know, my wife is super sweet and nice all the time, except for when she's hot. And when she's hot, it's a fucking problem for everybody, mostly me. So those reflexive behaviors that just happen are called secondary behaviors. At other times, we shift to another behavior intentionally in response to pressure or to attain a goal. Think of like a soft-spoken salesperson who's pressured by the boss to toughen up and they, they adopt a loud, brash manner. You know, so these, these deliberate shifts are called masks. And so this is like fucking insane. Uh, most masks are only worn for a short period of time. When we remove a mask, we, we usually revert to our primary behavior. It's often very difficult to tell whether a behavior is primary, secondary, or a mask. But for all practical purposes, it doesn't matter. And so comment on the mask idea. So past company I worked at, president of the company was a fucking savage, like 1500s barbarian savage but also super cool, you know, he just like his favorite food in the world was blood and money. And so he was like, nobody had any issues with him. They're like, wow, just, that guy will kill you if, uh, you know, if, if things go bad. Uh, but one time, so we had this leadership academy and so it was put on internally and this guy was going through it. And so, you know, leadership academy was like kind of some stuff like this, like, you know, you should listen to your subordinates. You should, you know, be nice to them. And so I get a call from him on my cell phone and he's like, Hey, Troy, you got a second? I'm like, fuck, yes, I do. He's like, I just wanted to see how you were, how you were doing. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then, you know, it was a good conversation. I like the dude, actually, even though he's wronged me horribly. But what Sir Lefton would say is that that was a mask. But all of that mostly is just informational. You know, just, just to know that, like, when you're interacting with somebody... You might all, they might all of a sudden the demeanor really, really changes. And you have to be aware that there's people's primary natural state. And then maybe there's their secondary, really, really stressed state. And maybe they're even putting on a mask. 
But in reality, none of that really matters. If you're dealing with a customer who Q1s it, deal with the Q1 behavior. If the customer suddenly starts Q3ing it, deal with the Q3 behavior. So just deal with the beh- the behavior in front of you. That's all you can really do. You know, you can't, you're not inside them. You don't know what's going on in their head. But if they were like really, really aggressive Q1, manage that. But then maybe all of a sudden you're like over a hump and they're so fucking talkative now and like you made it through. Like, okay, don't diagnose this person as a person. Say like, hmm. I need to manage this Q3 behavior now. Also, I need to like not read this whole fucking book on this podcast, but this is some good shit. And so remember, I mean, he hasn't even gone into his um, sales process yet, but these are these are the four skills that can be uh, considered communication or people skills. And so the first one that he's spending a bunch of time on is just sizing up skills. And that is the ability to thin slice, the ability to quickly say like, huh, okay, this person's acting like a Q1. I need to do this. But what's the difference with all this shit? Um, He says, if you've detected a Q4 bias in the previous chapters, you're right. We do favor Q4 behavior in selling and sales management. Why? Well, it's because Q4s get better results. Q4 skills are worth learning. And this is where, dude, this is like one of the most well-built structures that I actually like almost totally buy because he drops into like a game theoretical um, prisoner's dilemma analysis. And so the prisoner's dilemma is a fictional thought experiment, four quadrants with different payoffs. And so, um, you know, imagine you and your buddy committed a crime. Okay. You guys both get arrested and the payoffs, something like, I always fuck this up, but it's something like if you both confess, you each get like probation if one of you confesses and the other doesn't that person gets 10 years and the person didn't confess gets uh you know no years they go free flip it around same thing if you don't confess and the other person does they get 10 years of in jail you go free and then if you and then if both of you don't confess you both get like five years in jail so what you can what you can see is that like the optimal strategy if you guys were both cooperating is confess confess because then you'd both just get probation but the issue is you can't rely on that because if i confess because it's like ah this will be great we'll both just get probation and the other person doesn't confess i get 10 years in jail they go free and so if you actually calculate the actual payoffs the only outcome of a rational person playing that game is nobody confesses which leads to actually worse global outcomes where like you both get i don't remember what i said but like five years in jail each because you don't confess but five years in jail is better than you know confessing and potentially getting 10 years and so all that to say he builds a matrix of the different types uh and so you know it's a q1 sales rep q1 buyer Q2 sales rep, Q2 buyer. And so he he does the full matrix. I'll I'll pull out a few interesting uh, combinations, but the punchline is only Q4 is selected for with all of the customer types because a Q1, Q1, uh, you know, Q1 sales rep, Q1 prospect, 
you get a scrappy hard-hitting exchange you basically get exactly what i described in the chinese market negotiation example and so like if you have a q1 prospect and you're a q1 sales rep you're gonna you know it it's gonna produce mutual respect like maybe it could go a little bit better but it's not terrible um you know another one uh q3 q3 so you have a q3 sales rep who's you know like oh, i just want everybody to love me and then you have a q3 prospect who's like i just want everybody to love me and then you're like what if we love each other sign right here and then the sale just seems to come naturally but q4 is the only one where if you have a q2 prospect who's shutting down who's really hostile and trying to protect themselves q4 selected if you have a q1 prospect who's pushing super duper fucking hard q4 selected because you know q4 will also earn respect because you're not going to back down you're not going to be a pussy but you're also not going to just like get into a fist fight with them and then a q3 prospect a q4 is also selected because you can wrangle that bitch finally and you know at the end of the 35 minutes you like pull up your email and sign and that is what we are about to dive into q4 behavior demonstrates you can rely on me because i have your interests at heart as well as my own there's nothing adversarial about Q4 interactions. They're more like working partnerships. Starting in the next chapter, we'll explain how to appeal to enlightened self-interest and to demonstrate trustworthiness combined with skills and flexibility to ultimately, yes, yes, it doesn't say this, but become a Kusemona. But if you want to continue on this last dance, this potential last series on this fucking podcast we'll see i don't know might be dead you're gonna have to tune in next time on the next episode of the curiously disagreeable podcast we're gonna go in we're gonna talk all about the steps of selling and then he's just gonna lay out some legit skills you know the metaphor is like hey it's like james bond when he goes to m you know the british lady and she like pulls out all of the super cool tools like do you want a pen that if you put it in someone's neck you can either control their mind or blow them up and, and james bond's like well yes well yes i do so if you want that if you want more if you want everything you're gonna have to tune in next time on the next episode of the curiously disagreeable podcast thank you thank you very much and that's my pretties is another episode down of the curiously disagreeable podcast check us out at curiously disagreeable.com the troy hollings on instagram or wherever the fuck you get your podcast the end